Over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at five characters from the Bible. This week is Adam, next week Abraham, then Moses, then Esther, and then we'll wrap things up with David. And we want to do two things each week. The first thing is just help you realize the characters that are in the story. And our hope is we can help you identify with those characters so that when you would hear about them, you'd be like, you know what, that's not just somebody from thousands of years ago. I think I could see myself in that story. And then probably more importantly, we want to help you see how God would respond to us in the midst of that story so that we know God's character and how he would respond to us in our life today. So this week, we are talking about Adam. So we're going to jump right in, all right? Before we do, though, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever been at a place in your life where you were talking to someone and you knew? I mean, you just knew beyond a shadow of a doubt they were withholding some piece of information from you. Or maybe you're having a conversation with someone and maybe they asked your opinion, so you were telling them, or maybe they didn't ask, because I know that happens sometimes, and you were telling them your opinion, but you just knew in the back of their head, or, or maybe on the front of their face, they just weren't taking in what it was that you were offering to them. Maybe just a show of hands, how many of you have ever been? Yeah, I mean, if you're married, you have this conversation like twice a minute, probably. And if you're single, you have this conversation about dating. Hey, thanks for that advice, but I'm going to kind of stick to myself. If you're a college student, you know your professors are out to get you all the time. If you're a parent, you get this because you know children. See, God hard, hardwired children to hear what you tell them as a parent and to believe 100% the opposite of that. That's just reality. Okay, now listen, I have a great family. I love my family. I love my kids when my son's not climbing up the light pole out there in the atrium. But I'm going to show you a picture. This is my family up here. You can see that is my beautiful wife, Diana, there. I obviously married up. She is a picture of God's grace in my life. The two at the bottom, that's Aiden and Addison. They're five. They're twins. And then the guy here who would be on your right, that's our youngest. His name is Connor. And uh, he is going to be three in a few weeks. Now, I'll show you that picture because I'm going to tell you a story about them, and I want you to have kind of a visual of what's going on. So about seven weeks ago, I go to my wife and I say, listen, you, you stay at home with the kids all the time. Why don't you go to the beach for the weekend with your friends? So she goes to the beach with seven of her girlfriends, and they stay there for the weekend, and I'm going to dad up, and I'm going to watch the three kids for the weekend. So I call my dad. I say, hey, dad, why don't you... Uh, Come over, we'll cook out Friday night. So I throw some chicken on the grill, corn on the cob on the grill, eat some, steam some broccoli. We come in, we do what we do before we eat every meal. We kind of look at the food and we say, man, I can't believe God would be good enough to provide this food for us so we get to eat the, this food, it sustains us. And then we pray and we thank God for the food. Immediately after we say amen, my two oldest, Aiden and Addison, they jump right in on the food. I mean, they're going through corn on the cob. I wait a couple minutes and I look over at my two-year-old, Connor, hasn't touched anything yet. And so I just ask him, I say, hey, bud, what's going on? Why don't you go ahead and start eating your dinner? And he looks at me like a two-year-old can, crosses his arms and says, I can't. I said, okay, well, I don't really understand. I can't because I've seen you eat food before and you have food and you have a fork. And so I begin to have this conversation with him, completely disregarding the fact that I'm rationalizing with a two-year-old. And you can tell he starts to get a little frustrated. His eyes actually start to water a little bit. He says, I can't. I said, well, buddy, listen, here's the thing. Food is actually necessary for survival, okay? It sustains us, and this is healthy food. So if you want to get big like that and big like your brother, you should really start digging in. This is good. And at this point, he started, I can't, I can't. I say, okay, buddy, help dad understand why can't you eat the food? I can't because I want something else. All right? Um, 
Let's hear it, man. What, but what is it that you want for dinner? And through, he has these big, bright blue eyes, and he's already kind of misty because he'd been crying. And so the, the brightness of his eyes kind of start pushing through, and he gets this little smile on his face, and he looks at me, and he says, candy bowl, Daddy. I want candy. <laughs> My wife has this Tupperware candy bowl that has Halloween candy in it from Halloween 2012. It's because she's neurotic. She doesn't give our kids candy. I mean, we have desserts and stuff like that, but candy just doesn't do it. And he knows dad's home, and so he's a sucker. And so here's what I do. Me being the phenomenal dad and pastor that I am, I begin to explain to him why the chicken and broccoli is more healthy for him than the candy bowl. And what that starts is a 30-minute saga of the rest of us trying to enjoy our dinner while my two-year-old proceeds to say, candy bowl, candy bowl, candy bowl, candy bowl, candy bowl candy bowl. Now you and I both know that what I prepared for my son was better for him in that moment than the candy bowl, but he was 100% convinced that I was holding something from him, that I was withholding something from him better. So the message of the story, very, very clear, very obvious. Never, ever send your wife to the beach for the weekend <laughs> and keep three kids by yourself. Don't do it. No, uh, no, it, it's clear, even though I wasn't, he believed that I was withholding something from him. And it's funny, you know, we, can, we pretend that's accurate because he's a two-year-old, but how many of us in our lives, we hear, we see, or we know what it is that God would say is best for us? Or even if you're here and you don't believe in God, but you know what's right in a situation, and we say, I, I can't, or maybe next time, or I want something different. And I think we're going to find that's the situation that Adam finds himself in in the story this weekend. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up or turn them on or scroll, whatever it is. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 this week. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, no big deal. We're going to have the words up on the side screen. You can also go to uh, the Get Hope app and go to the message notes section. You can find them in there. We had like 250, 300 downloads last week, so people are using that thing, so that's cool. Just so you know, Genesis is at the beginning of the Bible. So you should be able to open up right to it. It's largely just an overview narrative of, uh, of God, of his creation, and a story of how we got to where we are right now. So since we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 3, I'm just going to give you a little backstory on the first couple chapters. chapters. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God. That's how it starts out. So we know God has just been here from eternity past, and then out of nothingness, he starts to create. So he says, let there be light. Let there be darkness, let there be dry land, water. He creates plants and animals. And you get a picture that everything that he's creating is good. And then from there, he creates man and woman. And best we can tell, they're running around naked and everything's cool. So that's very good. God looks at that. And he actually does say that now things are very good. And in the Hebrew, it's not like very good like we would hear that. It's actually it's impossible to improve upon. So perfection. Okay, so you have Adam and Eve walking around in perfection. Creation is at their fingertips. And then God actually puts his arm around Adam, and they go for a walk through the garden. And here's what, here's what God says to him. Adam, listen, I've given you all this stuff. Everything that I've created is for you. I want you to steward it. I want you to watch over it. I'm even going to give you this little garden here. And everything inside of this garden is good, and it, sustain, it will provide you food. It will sustain your life. But inside that garden, there's this one tree over here. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from that, you will surely die. Okay, so Adam, I've given you all this stuff. All this is good, and it's right for you to enjoy. I've given you Eve. Eve, I've given you Adam. And as long as you enjoy life inside these parameters, 
And if we're honest, it's really like these parameters, right? Like everything is here for you, but sometimes we just focus on the one negative. But as long as you operate inside these parameters, you will have life and you will have it to the full. So that's where we pick up the story right there in Genesis chapter 3. So verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said, the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so before we get going here, I want to point out one thing for all of us. If you ever encounter a talking snake, just run. Just get the heck out of there. I mean, here's a spoiler alert as to what's going to happen here. Everything is perfect. They're in the garden. Everything is great. A talking snake shows up. They start to believe a lie. Everything goes downhill. But if they would have done the rational thing the moment the snake started talking, crisis averted. End of story. So you're welcome. Don't talk to snakes. We can pray right now and send you out of here. On a serious note, anytime somebody ever says something like, did God really say is that really what we should do? Just be careful. Because there's a very good chance that someone's just looking for a loophole. And oftentimes loopholes are just big enough to trip us up. All right? Just be careful. Verse 2 and verse 3, Eve just answers the serpent. She says, no, we actually can eat from the trees that are here in the garden. There's just this one tree over here that we can't eat from, and we actually can't even touch it or else we'll die. So she kind of adds something in there, but for the most part, she gets it right. And the serpent responds, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So just like the serpent lied to my two-year-old and said, you need to cry for that candy bowl right now instead of eating dad's chicken and broccoli, the serpent tells Eve that God's withholding from her. And for the first time, the first time ever and throughout human history, the thought enters Eve's mind that maybe... Just maybe God's not as good as we originally thought. The grass starts to look a little bit greener on the other side. Maybe it's a little bit longer stare at a coworker. Maybe we start to cut some corners at work. Maybe we say, you know what, I really liked that Simple Life series that we did for six weeks. That was really entertaining, but I'm not going to live my life accepting other people, encouraging other people, living a life of humility, forgiving other people. That's not for me. And by the way, if you missed any of those six weeks of that series, you should go to our website and check it out. It's some of the best practical teaching that I've ever heard on how to live our lives the way that God created us to live. So check that out if you missed it. But we hang around the tree long enough, we have conversations in our heads, we play out the scenarios, and we start to believe the lies, and we get in over our heads. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Adam jumped in, picked Eve up, threw her over his shoulder, ran back home, sat her down on the couch and said, listen, sweetheart, I know that tree looks enticing, but God said that's not what's best for us in our life and in our marriage. And if you keep going back there, at some point, we're going to eat from that tree and we're going to die. So we need to be careful. Now, if you know the story, you know that that's not what happened. Adam stands there passively. And I, and I just want to tell you something to, to the men in here. We are called to love and honor and to protect our families. And I, I, I fully believe that the majority of the problems that we experience in our families and in our marriages, in our country, and probably all over the world, is largely due to men not stepping up and being men. 
And I, I'm not talking about a hyper macho way here. I'm talking about God said to Adam, all this is yours and it's your responsibility to steward it and to watch over it. And man, that's called responsibility and we have it. And so when we're at home, we need to be at home. We need to be with our families. And I know this is hard because there's, there's single moms here. And so I just ask that you would show me grace in, in how this applies because I don't really have an answer to that. But I know that if you're a husband or if you're a dad, from my seat, I've seen it. Your wife and your family will be attacked. And we got to step up. All right? We have a responsibility. I want to put the story back together for us. This is summer blockbusters, epic stories from the Bible. So this is kind of a big story. So I want to get us back where we were. They're in the garden. We've already seen how perfect their relationship with God is. We've seen how perfect their relationship with each other is. We've seen that God is a good God. And then we see them standing over here by this tree that God told them not to stand by. And we think, man, they probably shouldn't be near that tree. And then the snake kind of starts coming over, right? And snakes are gross. And so you see that happen. Things start to get a little bit more tense. You imagine the, the music starts crescendoing a little bit, starts rising up. And you know, right now in this moment, something is going to happen. And it's either going to be really good or it's going to be really bad. And some of us, we've been in that place before in our lives, right? We know this story. Some of us are at that place right now. Verse 6, when she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Eve bought into the lie that God wasn't good enough. She believed in that moment that God was withholding from her. And for the first time ever, what the Bible calls sin enters the world. And everything that was before, good, right, and perfect, the relationship with God, the relationship with each other, it was broken. And for this to really take root, we've got to understand that this isn't, this isn't about a piece of fruit. Okay, this isn't about just take, grabbing an apple and taking a bite. This is about believing in our lives that God is not only good, but, but God is ultimately what's best. That everything that he's provided for us in this moment and what he's called us to is what we need in our life. And this is a story of what plays out when that doesn't happen and then how God responds. So quickly, from that moment, things fall apart. And before we give Adam and Eve too hard of a time on this, uh, I think we probably need to look in the mirror a little bit. You know, I talked to you about my two-year-old. I think that every one of us in this room struggle with this. Can, can we just admit that? I mean, can, can I be honest with you and tell you that I struggle with not being at peace with what God's given me in my life right now? That that's a reality? That I desire things in my life that God says, hey, these things aren't for you, but Pastor Jason actually takes steps in his life to find these things? I mean, would you be willing to admit that, that probably what you want in your life more than anything else is just a little bit more than what you have right now? And when you get it, you just want a little bit more. And I'll tell you, there's a reason why God allows us to enjoy things in our lives, but they never become fully satisfied. They never fully satisfy us. And it's because he wants us to keep searching and keep searching and keep searching until we find him. And I promise you from experience that is what you will do. And so you say, Jason, wait a minute, that's, that's a little bit heavy. Uh, and so if that's you right now, I just want to just back up for a bit, and I want to tell you this. I want all of us in the same place of admitting at the end of the day, what we really want is what's in the candy bowl, 
more than we want the chicken and broccoli. Verse 7. What happens next is really one of the saddest stories in all of Scripture. The, the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they realized what they'd done. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So they started covering up. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And he hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So their response was to hide and to sew fig leaves together and make coverings for themselves. And all that is, it's that moment that all of us have experienced in our life where we simply say, man, I've, I've gone too far. I cannot believe that I just did what I did. I mean, that, that's going to cost me. And some of you right now are in a place in your life where that's reality. This is going to cost me. And maybe it's cost you a relationship. Maybe it's costing you finances. Maybe it's costing you a couple years in college. But they did what most of us want to do. They hid. They covered up. And they carried shame. I mean, can't you agree? That's what all of us do. I can tell you, adult after adult that I've talked with, that have made decisions that, that have life-altering implications, and the first thing that they do is to look to cover up what it is that they've done so they can just escape reality and get to a new place. And this hiding and covering up, it's, it's not just a thing from a story that pertained to Adam and Eve. So here's what's interesting. I'm going to let you know a little secret an illustration that maybe will help you out the next time you get in a place where you think about covering up for what you've done, and it involves uh, fig leaves. So it goes like this. Fig leaves would not work to cover up one's body. They're leaves. They just wouldn't work, all right? So don't think about that for too long. Uh, number two, fig leaves have characteristics of most deciduous tree leaves, okay? So they fall off the trees. They don't have a water source. They become dry and brittle. They fall back down to the ground. They fall apart. So any part of them that did work to cover you up at some point is going to fall down to the ground, leaving open whatever was covered up. It's a temporary fix. Somebody on our staff here, they sent me an email this week because they knew I was going to be talking about this. It was a link to a horticulture website, and it said that fig leaf fabric would have been like sandpaper in the summertime. So think about sandpaper in the summertime on areas that you would want to cover if you realized you were naked. Probably not the best choice. And then lastly, I'm just going to go back to number one. It's a leap. Like it doesn't work. It doesn't cover up. I thought about a great illustration like having Joe Bosco come out here with fig leaves on him and see. But then I realized that that would probably be a bad idea and wardrobe malfunctions aren't usually a good idea uh, in church. I know that we're smart enough to not try to cover our bodies um, with fig leaves, but I would suggest that we are masters. We are masters at covering things up. I, I hear things all the time like, Jason, if you only know what she did to me, or you don't know what my life is like, or do you know how hard I work to get where I am right now and you expect me to carry myself in a way that would be honoring to God all the time? You expect me to show grace and to forgive? Or how about this one? People, we just act like everything's together and perfect. How are things going? Oh, things are good. No, they're not. They're not going good. And then there's this one I hear more and more, and I don't know where it's coming from, but, but I, I, man, listen, you've got these things going on in your life. I don't think this is what God would have for you. Yeah, I don't even, I don't even know if it matters. I don't, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. And I say this respectfully if you're in one of those situations. But it's all fig leaves. It doesn't work. 
it will fall apart. It's not a true covering. We hide behind these things and we use them as a cover, but they will never, ever make right that which is already messed up. There's only one place that we can find that. And so that's Adam's story. My hope is that all of us in this room would be honest enough to say, I believe daily that God is holding back from me. And there's something better in my life. And we believe that lie and we act on those lies. And that leads us to a place of hiding, of covering things up, and then feeling shame. Now, in the midst of that, I want you to see how God responds. Because if the story ended there, that would be lame. Like, this wouldn't be the epic story from the Bible that it is. Here's how that plot would go. Uh, They're by the tree. The snake shows up. Climax. They eat. They hide. They die. Credits roll. Directed by Quentin Tarantino and J.J. Abrams. Because they would, they would make a movie like that. You know, five years of my life I gave to Lost. I watched every episode of that series for five years to sit on my couch the last week with my wife. And when it was over, I looked at her and said, what the heck just happened? They would make that. I know you want to applaud. Don't, don't. But you want to. If they made the movie, it would be that way. That's not in my notes. So I got to figure out. Here, God responds. Here's how God responds. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And there's so much speculation and inaccuracy in our culture about the character of God and how he's mean and how he's out to get us. And if if you're not careful, you'll miss this. Adam, where are you? This is a perfect and loving God knowing what wrong has been done. Okay, just so you know, God is 100% fully aware of your failures but a perfect and loving God still pursuing his children. Now, I want you to hear this. In the midst of us being like Adam, believing that God is withholding from us and chasing after what's been said isn't for us, unhealthy relationships, alcohol and drugs, sex outside of the context of marriage, pride, ignorance, greed, entitlement. In the midst of all that, knowing that we've messed up, God is pursuing us. He comes to us like a loving father who wants what's best for his children. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I I want you to write this next part down. So I don't know if you're taking notes, if you're on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, that's fine. But this is for you. There is no place that you can hide to escape the relentless pursuit of God's love. God calls to Adam. He says, Adam, where are you? Verse 10, he answers, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Which is gracious of God, because he most likely is fully aware of this. It is encouraging to me, though, because I ask my kids rhetorical questions all the time, and it's good to be affirmed. I'll take any validation that I can get. The man said to the woman, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Nice job, Romeo. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and so I ate. So the story is going downhill faster and faster. They hide from God. They try to cover things up. They feel shame. They start to engage what we would say are normal rules of conflict. They start blaming each other. He blames the naked woman with the fruit. She blames the talking snake, which both seem halfway rational to me. And you see God for the first time respond to an act of disobedience. The lack of trust in God, it immediately wrecks everything that was before. 
what was good, right, and perfect, this perfect relationship that he had with his creation, the perfect relationships that we had for each other, it's wrecked in a moment. And four verses later, God is already enacting on his plan to restore that which we could never do. He says this. The first thing he does is he curses the serpent, and he tells them, I will put an enmity between you and this woman, between her offspring and yours, and you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And this is God just rolling up his sleeves, right? And he's saying, today you're going to win the battle. Okay, you win this battle. But at some point, this woman is going to have a descendant, a child of a child of a child of a child, who's going to show up on the scene, and he's going to make right what's just been wrecked. So he deals first with, with the evil. And then, in what I believe a very loving way, he looks to Adam and Eve, and he tells them their consequences. And we talk about this all the time at Hope. I mean, God is a gracious God. He is quick to forgive. He's rich in mercy. That's why the mission of our church is to love people wherever they are in life. And if you're a part of Hope for any time at all, you will know that. I mean, we love people. But, but the truth is, sin has consequences. I mean, for them, it looked like this. Adam and Eve's relationship with each other. God told them it's never going to be what it was before. And Eve, there's going to be pain involved in childbearing. And Adam, you're going to have to work harder for the land to produce crops and to produce food. And best I can tell, we still experience that today. But in our relationships, I mean, if we go through life being, greed, being greedy, showing pride, arrogant, lacking humility, not wanting to forgive other people, our relationships with each other are going to be fractured, much less our relationship with God. You know, and if that elevates and turns into other things like theft or worse, you know, you're going to do jail time. So sin, sin has consequences. So that's what he does. But then he looks at them and they're hiding. And you, you got to feel this because it, they were told they deserved death. And he sees them covering up for themselves. And he makes right that which they never could. Remember the fig leaves, right? An inadequate covering. Verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, Adam and Eve were told if they did this, they would die. So by those standards, what did they deserve? I'm going to try. That was, thank you. We're going to try one more time just to make sure we're all on the same page. They were told if they did this, they would die. So by those standards, what did they deserve? Yeah, yeah, they deserve death. This idea is laced all throughout the Bible, that because we're sinful, we're separated from God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but God finds them hiding, covering up for themselves, feeling shamed, and he makes right what they never could. For the first time, this idea, this concept of grace enters this story. Now, if you've ever heard this story before, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but have you ever wondered like, where the garments of skin came from? Because it didn't say, it wasn't like on day three, God created this extra skin and sat it down over here in the corner in case somebody just woke up one day and realized they were naked and wanted to cover it up. Like, it's just not there. I mean, something had to die. I mean, could you imagine what that would have been like for Adam? As a result of not believing in the goodness of God, blood was shed for the first time. Physical pain for the first time. Physical death entered the earth. And you hear this, and you know this is just a picture of what's to come thousands of years later. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. 
And we see this just three chapters into the Bible. It takes an innocent sacrifice to cover our sins. And just as God allowed an innocent animal to be killed to cover Adam and Eve thousands of years later, God allowed his innocent son to endure a death for us to offer us a covering. Not just to wash away our sins, but to restore all of creation back to the way that it was originally. I want you to see God's character and his love for Adam and Eve in the midst of their rebellion. I want you to see God's love and God's character towards us in the midst of our rebellion. There's nowhere that you can hide to escape the relentless pursuit of God's love. So this weekend, I would ask you a question. How many of us are daily believing that God is withholding from us? I think most of us, it's not even a daily thing. It's a minute-by-minute thing. How many of us are constantly impatient? Let's just start there, right? Let's not start with the big stuff. If you live life constantly impatient, the truth is you believe in that moment what you have for you is not what's best. That means you're not trusting in the goodness of God. If you sit in a traffic jam with road rage, that's because in that moment you're not fully believing in the goodness of God for you in that moment. Maybe you're in a relationship that you know you have no business in. You know there's a part of that relationship that is not for you, but you keep going back to the tree and back to the tree and back to the tree, and you keep covering up and covering up and covering up because you're never fully satisfied. You feel shame. Or maybe you're angry because God hasn't given you that relationship. I've got a good friend that goes to Hope, and we talk on a weekly basis, and his big struggle is... Why hasn't God given me a wife? You know, all I want to do is be a godly man. I want to be a godly husband and a godly father. And for him, he's given me permission to remind him on a regular basis, hey, bro, I don't think that you're recognizing God's goodness for you. And you're like, do you realize that what you deserved was death? And you don't have that, but you have life. And in fact, you have life eternal through God giving his son to you. And all this other stuff that you have in your life, that is God's blessing. And who knows, God could be working something in you to set you up to be in a better place when you do meet that woman. Or maybe God's, maybe through his goodness, is working in the life of this woman so that when you two come together, it will be everything that it could be. Maybe you're living your life as though you just need one more thing, the promotion, the raise, the glory. Man, watch this. Respect. You've probably heard this before, but Rockefeller was asked one time, how much does someone need just to be wealthy? He responded, just just a little bit more. In my opinion, you want to talk about a story that's not epic? Try this one. Grow up, go to college, make some money, get a job, start a family, buy a Volvo. If things go really, really well, you make enough money to buy a house at the beach and then die. I mean, that's a lame story. Nobody's going to write that book. Nobody's going to make a movie about it. I mean, even with that big trailer voice, you would have a tough time selling that thing at the movies. That's a lame story. Hashtag not epic. That's not good for anybody. But we live our lives as though that's the most important thing. We get up every day and we chase after what's going to move us in that direction. And ultimately, that's that's not what brings us the peace and the joy and the satisfaction in our life that we were created to experience. You know, Adam and Eve, they didn't suffer a physical death right away. Okay, that was the grace of God. That's what they deserved. That's not what happened. But they did suffer a spiritual death, a separation from God. And that's what happens when we chase after these things other than the goodness of God. And so I would just ask you, this weekend, is that you? Are you living an empty life believing that something else is better than what God has for you 
are better than what God calls you to. And if you are, let's just own it. Because I'd be the first one to raise my hand. Let's say that's where I am in my life. And if that's you, I want to give you a little piece of practical advice. At least it helps me in those moments. So in the moments that we find ourselves by the tree and the serpent's whispering in our ear, God's holding back from you. You could have something better. Nobody will know. We've got to take a step back and we've got to remind ourselves this principle. God is not only good, but ultimately what's best. And it sounds like a small thing, but I'm telling you, you find a way to to start thinking through and worshiping God in those moments for the things that you have. And it can be enough to get you through that moment. But if it's not, if it's not, and if, if you haven't done that, because I know there's a lot of us here today that didn't believe that truth and we're dealing with the consequences. I know there's a lot of folks that have struggled with this. I talked to a young lady about two weeks ago who literally was in a situation in her life where she believed a lie that this was a better choice than what she knew God had called her towards and she is literally right now facing a life or death situation that involves her family. This is real stuff. And if that's you, I want you to remember there is no place that you can hide to escape the relentless pursuit of God's love. There there is no sin that you can commit. There's no lie that you can believe. There's no addiction that you can drown yourself in. There's no relationship that you can suffocate yourself under that will separate you from the gracious offering that God offers to us through his son Jesus and that can prevent God from pursuing you right in the midst of where you are. There's no place to hide to escape the relentless pursuit of God's love. I need you to know that. We, as hope, we want you to know that, that God is pursuing you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your hiding, in the midst of your shame. God is pursuing you. See, God knows it's ultimately it's his grace that draws us in. It's love that draws us in to other people. John 15, 13 says, There's greater love has no man than this than one who would lay down his life for his friend. And that's what Jesus does for us in our worst moment. And as we accept that, he picks us up, he dusts us off, he covers us in a way that we can never cover ourselves, and he forgives us, and he says, go and sin no more. In the midst of whatever it is that you're going through right now, God is pursuing you. You know, we're celebrating baptisms right outside after this. And and baptism is really just an outward symbol uh, of saying that I know that I've lived my life believing a lie. I know God pursued me in the midst of that. And he made right that which I never could. I'm not going to pretend I can cover it up. I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm going to admit that I need a savior and accept what it is that God has done for me. And so we're not a high-pressure church, okay, but I'm not going to pretend that, that there might not be some people in here right now that God is working that in, in your soul and in your heart. And so if that's you, you know, we're baptizing 22, 23 people. We're not going to know the difference either way. But if that's you and you say, you know what, I'm tired of living a lie. Like I want to chase after what it is that God has for me. I want to trust in what Jesus has done for me for my new life in Christ. We've got some extra towels. We got some shorts. We just come out here, talk to myself or Laura. There's some other folks out here, some of our staff. And we'd love to get you in the water today. We can make that happen. I'm going to have you all bow your heads for a minute.
As I've been going through the story for the last week, week and a half, and, and trying to figure out what it is that I hope you would leave with, what, what I think God would want you to leave with. The, the first is this. What is that thing in your life that you're daily chasing after that you know that's not what God has for you? And you know that you're believing a lie. And then my hope that is in the midst of you chasing after that, you would find it inside of you to remind yourself and to get to a place of recognizing that God is not only good, but ultimately what's best. Can you remind yourself of that? And then lastly, I just want you to know, and I want you to remember on a daily basis when we find ourselves in those situations where we don't believe that truth and instead we believe the lie, we've got to keep going back to the gospel. We've got to keep going back to recognizing God's pursuit of us in our life right where we are. And in the moments that we make the wrong decision, we know that there's no place that we can hide to escape the relentless pursuit of God's love. God, we, we recognize that I, I don't really know any other word to use, but we're, 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 we're frail, we're fragile, we're prone to, to wander and to chase after other things that aren't what's best for us. And I'm not going to pretend like those things don't look enjoyable and that they're not attractive. But God, help us to identify what those things are. Give us the courage to identify those things. Give us the courage to take a step back and the perspective to remind ourselves of your goodness and of the grace that you offer to us, even in the midst of us not making the choice that we should. God, we love you. We thank you for how you're at work at Hope. We thank you for how you're at work in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.